0: You're listening to The Pavecast, a podcast from Partners for Automated Vehicle Education to illuminate the world of AV technology. Learn about Pave and its mission by visiting www.pavecampaign.org. Welcome to our first Pave virtual panel of 2022, The Road Ahead, USDOT's AV Policy and Priorities. During its first year, the Biden administration spotlighted several issues related to driving automation technology, from new crash reporting rules to warnings about the need for drivers to remain attentive while using driver assistance features. We are delighted to have the opportunity today to discuss some of those topics from the first year of the administration, as well as their goals and priorities for the year ahead. And central to our mission at PAVE, we'll also be discussing the importance of education and preparing for the autonomous future. My name is Tabitha Coulter, and I'm Paige's Director of Operations and today's moderator. I am honored to introduce today's guest, Linda Tran. Linda is the Senior Advisor for the Office of the Secretary and Director of Public Engagement at the U.S. Department of Transportation. Linda, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
1: Tabitha, it is my honor to be with you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Great. And we received dozens of questions from our audience who registered today, so we're going to do our best to cover a wide range of topics while we have Linda here with us for the next almost 30 minutes. Um, so, Linda, starting off a little bit. So, President Biden's DOT has been quite active on automated vehicle related issues in its first year. Uh, we're hoping to dive into specifics there into the conversation. But broadly, what message do you want to send the industry about your approach to these issues and how it may be different from previous administrations?
1: Well, Tabitha, I would just start by saying that uh, rather than compare to uh, the previous administrations, I think that we should mostly focus on uh, the vision that this secretary and this administration have set out. And, and of course, folks know, I'm sure many of the the people who are tuning in from uh, around the country paid attention to uh, Secretary Buttigieg's remarks last week unveiling the department's innovation principles, which were the first of their kind. And, you know, that was was really designed to be um, a framework for understanding not only how the department thinks about things like automation, but also uh, the role of technology in the world of transportation writ large. And so maybe that's actually a a good place for us to start. Um, Before we do that, though, it might be helpful for folks to know that uh, this is not my first time at the Department of Transportation. This is actually, uh, as I would describe it, my second tour of duty, my um, time as an appointee during the Obama administration, I was actually uh, in the uh, National Highway Traffic Safety. Safety Administration, uh, uh, in NHTSA, and, uh, and so it's, it's been an amazing uh, journey and um, an, an interesting perspective to see how things have evolved from you know now uh, 11 years ago, uh, some of these very same topics, some of the same technology, but obviously uh, a lot more interest and a lot of different players involved now than, than there were just over a decade ago. Uh, but big picture, just talking about the innovation principle. So the secretary um, unveiled them at the Consumer Electronics Show last week uh, with uh, six basic uh, uh, tenets in mind. Um, the first one, which is the most important from my perspective, is really that the way that we view innovation and its role is uh, to further our policy outcomes. And so uh, not innovation for the sake of innovation, and certainly not innovation the way that sometimes the term is kind of bandied about as just the new cool thing and, and and what folks should, should be uh, thinking about if they want to sound cutting edge, but really that innovation has the potential and has, uh, frankly, a proven record of really um, changing the way our communities operate, having um, substantial benefits for for the people that live in our neighborhoods and in and, and our cities and our, um, our neighborhoods in and, and suburban and rural America as well. So first and foremost, uh, innovation not as an end to itself, but uh, to further policy outcomes. Uh, the second thing is, is really um, something I think of, of great interest uh, to folks who are part of PAVE, who are tuning in, uh, which is about um, innovation helping America win the future. That's the term that, that our secretary often uh, uses in talking about uh, the, the value and the benefit of innovation, um, making us more competitive, making us um, able to be more adaptable, uh, resilient to some of the challenges that we face on a regular basis whether that's from the climate perspective or otherwise Um, The third thing, the third uh, principle is is really about America's workers. Um, Not surprising to anybody who's been following the Biden administration uh, and and its um, priorities that that it has laid out is that it's very important to this president, it's very important to the secretary, that as we um, embrace new technologies and new innovations, um, that we're not racing to the future just for the sake of racing to the future, and that we're also mindful of um, the technologies and um, the systems that are in place now that that many people rely on um, for to make a living. Uh, so, really centering uh, our approach to innovation around also just transition to the future. The fourth one is um, about. Uh, you know, allowing for um, people to experiment and also to fail, but to learn from those setbacks, and it's um, remarkable, I think, to have uh, the federal government talking about um, trying and failing and, and starting again. Um, but that is something that that obviously has been uh, very much uh, a core tenet, a core principle for uh, innovators and entrepreneurs um, for for many many years running. Uh, so certainly something that um, that the secretary has emphasized. Uh, The fifth one is uh, just really about recognizing um, the opportunity for uh, the three major sectors to collaborate and to partner on um, innovative approaches, innovative technology in the future. Uh, So uh, not only focusing on the federal government, the public sector, but also the private sector and also um, academia, uh, the academic sector, and and considering ways that we can uh, do things like pilot projects together um, and, and also to learn from the different efforts that are underway independently. Um, Last but not least, and I would say that this is really important to underscore, um, you know, too often the federal government is perceived as as hard to move and and kind of in stasis. And and there's, the the Secretary made an important point that we have to be flexible and we have to adapt as technology adapts so that you know, we're not um, holding uh, innovation to um, the, the the standards that might have applied in the past, as things are moving and shifting and evolving very, very quickly. Absolutely, that was a great overview of those principles. Absolutely. And so, you know, I, I mean, I saw this I folks haven't read about it, uh, but but just because um, it it is a really good kind of roadmap to how we're thinking about um, all of the things that impact uh, innovation and technology in uh, the transportation sector. Great. Absolutely. Sorry. I think my audio got messed up
0: for a second, but yeah, that's a great overview of those innovation principles. And I really liked a lot of the points you made about, you know, not rushing to the future for the future's sake and having a just transition. And, you know, obviously here at PAVE, we're focused on kind of a very specific aspect of that transition toward autonomous vehicles, namely public education. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how DOT is thinking about the role of education in governance of this emerging technology, and how you hope to kind of support that goal of public education going forward.
1: Well, look, as I said at the start, I'm a former Nitzoid, as we uh, as we NHTSA folk like to call ourselves. Um, and <clears throat> public education is part and parcel to everything that that agency does. And in fact, um, partnering with organizations like yourself and others... Um, and both the, the public and the private sector uh, have been a core part of, uh, of the NHTSA approach to making sure that people understand the programs that are, exist, um, the overall philosophy and the approach and just making sure um, that the agency can translate its work into layman's terms in a way, terms in a way that uh, makes it digestible to folks. And, and I would say that that approach really applies to um, this department, DOT writ large as well. Uh, a lot of what we are uh, thinking about especially as it pertains to the bipartisan infrastructure now that um, that legislation has passed and um, and related to the immense um, upscaling of the resources available to the department is about really kind of demystifying everything. You know, public education is so critical in terms of um, explaining to folks both the opportunities that are available, but also making uh, Americans and, and communities uh, aware of what the challenges might be, where there might be pain points that, that people should be aware of. And I would say nowhere is that more important than when it comes to describing our safety initiatives and, uh, you know, safety practices that uh, the department of would really like um, folks to, to really keep in mind as they're going about their daily lives.
0: Absolutely. You know, one trend that we're thinking a lot about at PAVE kind of coming into the next year is, um, you know, it's easy to kind of think that AVs might be single passenger cars that drive themselves. And we are seeing that development, but we're also seeing this emergence of autonomous mobility in a wide range of services, you know, trucking and transit that are fundamentally different from cars. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how the department is um, viewing this variety of applications while they're thinking about approaching this technology. You know, are we using the existing considerations? to um, think about these other applications or how do we need
1: to rethink that? It's a really, really good question, Tabitha. And um, I would just start by saying that, that ultimately communities need to decide what they want their transportation mix to be. They need to decide uh, where you know the, the um, benefits and the costs are um, make sense for them, uh, given the context of the, the people that live in their community. But I would start there. And I think that that's kind of a general principle, um, whether you're talking about um, automation, autonomous, or automated um, technologies. Uh, or any other component within the transportation sector, but you know it goes without saying that there is just so much exciting um, innovation, frankly, happening uh, in the in the AV space, and that is true as you point out. When it comes to transit, it is true. Uh, when it comes to trucking, and. Um, from the perspective of the department, while folks are doing the experimentation, while folks are doing, um, you know, some of that uh, development, uh, we're we're most interested in making sure that wherever it leads us, we're continuing to to keep safety as our north star. So, you know, the Federal Transit Administration, for example, is uh, is doing some early, um, you know, uh, analysis and doing some. Uh, some, some partnering with other entities to do uh, pilot efforts uh, when it comes to transit automation. And then, you know, similarly, uh, our uh, Federal Motor Carrier Safety uh, Administration has been uh, looking very closely at what's happening in the trucking industry. You can see you know, at the 30,000-foot level that there could certainly be some benefits in, in particular when it comes to transit automation, especially now as you and I are talking to each other in this weird two-dimensional world that we're living in and um, in uh, helping to keep folks safe during the COVID era. But, but certainly, um, there, there are many potential applications uh, far beyond uh, what will hopefully be a uh, soon-ending pandemic.
0: Absolutely. And you're right on touching on, yeah, supply chains that have been a big topic and sort of these rising trends we've seen. So um, great point. And you mentioned this as well earlier, but, you know, another topic we're really passionate about here at PAVE is encouraging positive and equitable societal benefits when we think about future transportation systems and technology. You mentioned, you know, having conversations with communities, having them engaged there. Um, And Secretary Buttigieg has spoken about the potential promise of automated vehicles, including a quote uh, last May when he referenced the great potential in particular for older Americans and those with disabilities. Um, So what kind of steps do we, both the DOT and civil society more broadly, what do we have to take to ensure the technology delivers those benefits?
1: Well, um, Tabitha, I'm going to sound like uh, a broken record on this, but of course, even as we're thinking about the potential, it's, I'm, I'm always going to beat the drum on on safety. And uh, and frankly, when you think about older Americans, uh, when you think about um, uh, folks who maybe. Visually impaired uh, folks who may be physically uh, uh, handicapped or impaired, um, you can see that there is so much potential uh, to expand the world and and the ability for these folks to 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 get around and um, to move about their communities and move about their daily lives with um, these advances that we're beginning to see uh, animation. Uh, the sky's the limit there. And I think that's really what the secretary was referring to. Yeah, I think that's right to kind of tie accessibility to safety as well. I think
0: that's an important link there. And again, kind of in thinking about encouraging um, the societal benefits to broader communities and other groups, um, you know, immediately after taking office, the Biden administration signed an executive order aimed at advancing racial equity in transportation and is soliciting comments on that issue. Um, I'm curious, Linda, you know, where do AVs come into that move toward a more equitable transportation system? You know, specifically, are there actions we need to be taking to ensure AVs improve the equity of the American transportation?
1: Well, you know, it's a it's a very complex and large question, uh, Tabitha, and uh, I'm I'm really glad that you're highlighting the administration's um, equity executive order. And in fact, uh, very soon, um, the we'll be releasing our own equity action plan that is per, that is responsive to that uh, executive order. That will have a lot of different things in it related to um, the the way that we want to make sure that we're centering all of the work that we're doing and considering, you know, disadvantaged communities considering um, uh, uh, things that the different perspectives whether it's based on gender or it's based on uh, as, as we talked about a little bit earlier um, people's physical abilities um, as well as of course um, racial socioeconomic status so um, there's an ongoing discussion right now about um, how to make sure that we're centering our work in equity that will be um, released uh, pr- pretty soon here and that will continue to be engaging folks around. Uh, when it comes to automation i mean you know we it, i don't think that the actual um considerations are dramatically different uh, in a lot of ways than uh, the considerations for other modes of transportation. And the point being that part of it is calling out what it is, uh, you know, defining what a disadvantaged community is thinking through um, what it it would be like from that perspective. And and another piece of it is really going to be an ongoing discussion, uh, as I mentioned, because we want to make sure that we're actually hearing from folks with lived experience, hearing from folks um, who are in these communities telling us um, what it is that, that they see as the potential and what they see as those challenges as well when it comes to automation.
0: Absolutely, and you're right that hearing from those people is is a key aspect of this conversation. And you know, it's one reason why at Pave we always try to, you know, facilitate questions from our audience and bring them in. So, one topic I'd love to hear your take on that we receive a lot is um, questions and concerns about cybersecurity and in that level of safety. So, is there anything um, you would like to tell us about what the DOT is working on in that
1: realm? Yeah, I mean, cybersecurity. My goodness, what a massive topic, and and obviously one that touches on on pretty much every part of our daily lives, we um, call out that the, the NHTSA team in particular has a very, very robust uh, research program underway um, that is related to uh, cybersecurity, and um, you know, there were some uh, best practices that the agency issued in 2016 that then um, were updated and a draft form was put out in 2020, um, and uh, those uh, updated guidelines are uh, being finalized right now. Um, and NHTSA has also, uh, as folks may know, been um, a driving force behind um, a encouraging uh, the industry's um, automotive uh, information sharing and analysis center to share um, the information and intelligence that's collected on um, cybersecurity issues, and also importantly, to collaborate on potential solutions to any issues that might arise. Uh, And then um, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't plug the fact that NHTSA is also going to be at um, SAE next week, uh, holding a workshop uh, with federal and industry partners, specifically on cybersecurity. So this is you know, a topic that is obviously uh, top of mind for uh, the department and, and one that is uh, a continual work in progress and, and a place where um, the, the expert team is, is really very focused.
0: Great. We look forward to that SAE workshop and the ongoing efforts there. Um, great, and as you know, as we keep working towards you know this theme of having a transportation system that is more equitable to meet the needs of all communities, and, and you know thinking through the safety and, and, and those points there, I'd love to sort of turn to um, talking about the current uh, transportation landscape. So, um, you know, Secretary Buttigieg has made a number of statements on a specific issue that's pretty central to Pave's mission: what technology is on the road today, and what the human responsibility is while those technologies are engaged. Um, His point culminates, and I'm going to quote him real quick, that um, I keep saying this until I'm blue in the face. Anything on the market today that you can buy is a driver assistance technology, not a driver replacement technology. I don't care what it's called. We need to make sure that we're crystal clear about that, even if companies are not. Linda, could you tell us a little bit about why that statement was necessary and how DOT plans to continue building on that?
1: Well, again, you know, safety is the agency's North Star. And the um, the best possible way that the secretary can drive home the message that, um, that we are personally responsible for uh, what we're doing when we're behind the wheel each and every single time is, is to really call that out. And I would certainly expect him to continue to do so. Um, just to to uh, peel back the the onion, a couple of layers here, part of what he was referring to in that comment is uh, the difference between uh, driver assistance, automated driver assistance uh, technology, a driver uh, assistance systems that are available now, those level one and level two tech um, that, that you're seeing on a regular basis in vehicles, lane keep assist, collision warning, all of those kinds of things. Um, that is uh, very, very different than um, the hope and the dream of, um, of, uh, of, of, uh, of the, uh, level three, level four, level five, um, automation, um, automated driving systems that, that don't really exist yet. And, and, um, that, that, um, there are various forms of that are in testing um, and in, in demo and pilot projects, but that don't exist in a, in a form that the consumer can yet purchase. And so just making clear to folks that um, regardless of how cool the technology is, and frankly, I remember, um, again, uh, just over a decade ago, getting a, um, an early look at some of those, those neat driver assistance systems that are now just commonplace in the fleet. Um, I remember thinking um, how neat and... Um, Uh, how impactful they were going to be. And also, I remember what it was like for the first time to get behind in the backseat of a vehicle that was more in the category of what um, uh, would be the uh, autonomous vehicle that people um, are hoping to have on our roadways in in a really substantial way in the relative near future. And the difference between those two sets of technologies is dramatic. And um, the point really is that, uh, you know, we we just really need to retain um, our personal responsibility based on what's currently on the roadway and what's available right now.
0: Absolutely. That's very well said and, and a very important point, as you mentioned. Um, similar to, to that sort of vein, you know, one of the first major policies that was instituted by USDOT around driving, driving automation tech, this administration has been the introduction of new crash reporting rules, um, both for vehicles that are using driver assistance and for fully autonomous vehicles. Um, could you talk a little bit about DOT's goal for that rule and how that data you receive might ensure better governance of this technology and that safe principle safety that you
1: uh, have discussed? Absolutely, Tabitha. And and, and you're referring to the standing general order that uh, that NHTSA issued uh, not very long ago. Um, And a big picture what the standing general order requires is that both ADAS and um, uh, uh, the level three to level five systems that are being tested right now uh, report the crash incident uh, data and and also smaller incident data. And and the reason to do this, of course, is that um, NHTSA, uh, the department writ large, but NHTSA in particular is a very data-driven organization. And uh, the agency is always looking for patterns within uh, the data that it receives uh, to to see if there are potential safety concerns, if there's an unreasonable risk to safety in particular. Um, That term I know is of great importance to a lot of folks. Um, And uh, the standing general order makes it possible that for the agency to get that information in relatively real time, it's, it's uh, required to be reported within 10 days uh, and so that it can look for patterns, it can look for um, areas that will require additional investigation or exploration to understand uh, what the implications might be, again, um, on safety.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, on the on the safety topic, in November of last year, actually, Secretary Buttigieg referenced the uh, NHTSA safety probe into the Tesla autopilot system, and, you know, saying that there is tremendous upside potential with autonomous driving and driver assistance, um, but it's not automatic. The computer systems are going to do better unless we have the right kind of regulation. Could you talk a little bit, both from your experience now and previously with NHTSA, about, you know, potential examples or ideas of regulation that might help to ensure that these driver assistance systems are used as they're intended, you know, with an alert human operator behind the wheel.
1: Yeah, and, and Tabitha, I would just say, um, because there is an open investigation, I'm, I'm not going to dive too deeply into um, that particular uh, uh, scenario, but what I would say is that, you know, the role of the federal government, the role of, um, of NHTSA especially, but the role of the federal government writ large is really about um, uh, making sure that there is, uh, you know, there is a standard set of guidelines, a standard set of, of, of requirements that people back from that innovation that we started this conversation talking about. Uh, so uh, just making sure that um, the roles are the same for different folks, I think, is, is really important. And also... Um, important is uh, where there is a, a sense that that certain approaches will ensure that people are safer. Whether it's about um, you know regulating the the type of um, of uh, technology that is uh, that is in it put into a vehicle or um, or some other uh, different avenues, there um, really just about making sure that there's a deep understanding of what's available. There's a deep understanding of uh, what's the best path forward, and then making sure that that's something that the industry is thinking about as well.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, as director of public engagement, you know, you a lot of your work is kind of bringing together different stakeholders, the different perspectives and kind of making sure that that's informing um, DOT's work in the future. So a common question we get that I'd love to just sort of hear your take on is how, you know, how do those different players work together, the industry and the federal government and the states? And how? Are, what what sort of efforts are going on there for um, United Paths forward as we think about this future of transportation and technology broadly?
1: So the short answer, Tabitha, is it varies dramatically. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it certainly depends on um, you know which which sector we're talking about. It depends on uh, whether uh, in the private sector you're talking about large entities or small entities, uh, and also where folks have decided to focus. I mean, some of the conversations that I've had recently have have actually had um, nothing to do with uh, with human passengers and everything to do with the transport of goods. And of course, there's a lot of focus right now on the the goods movement chain overall and and uh, potential ways of of shoring it up for the future. Um, I would just say that that part of the reason why um, I decided to come back into federal service uh, right now um, is that I uh, fundamentally believe that when you have um, open and authentic feedback loops with with individuals, uh, external stakeholders, that that really informs the work of the federal government. It makes everything that we do better. Um, it makes us smarter about the landscape that we're operating in, about the um, potential opportunities for us to to look at both things that might be a challenge, but also just to help um, amplify and lift up really cool things that are happening right there, right out there. And uh, so that's been really, really gratifying for me. And you know, circling back to our whole conversation about equity, the other piece is that uh, I'm, I'm super proud to be part of an administration where um, the concept, the value of equity, is front and center, and and I, I think that that's really quite groundbreaking. So uh, it's part of the reason I'm here. It's part of what's exciting about public engagement, and and also I would just put in the plug that you know my door is always open uh, to folks who have thoughts, have ideas, have feedback, um, have concerns, or things that they want to highlight. Um, that is something that. I think, is part and parcel of the, the DOT ethos and certainly is, is one that I would welcome.
0: Absolutely. That's super important. And, you know, as we're wrapping up, we're, we're getting really close to time, but I would love to sort of just end with, you know, we've touched on so many different really important pieces as we think about the transportation landscape of the future. And I'd love to just sort of end with hearing what are you most excited about in 2022? And, you know, within your work, I think you touched on it there a little bit, but I'd love to just sort of get your final take there of what you're excited about.
1: You know, Tabitha, the, the secretary actually asked this exact question of his senior leadership team just a few days ago. And uh, I told him then, and I'm telling you all now, uh, I, I sincerely mean this. The thing I'm most excited about is conversations like this and the opportunity, uh, hopefully, in three dimensions in the relative near future to just really interact with folks and um, and to learn and, and to understand more of what's happening out there. Um, you know, at my heart, I'm an organizer, so I fundamentally believe and the principle of meeting people where they are. And that means you have to really listen and listen hard and uh, to interact with people. Um, My team has heard me say often my job was not meant to be done in two dimensions. So, uh, you know, I'm really, really optimistic and hopeful about the time when when we're able to be uh, face to face again. Uh, But that's really energizing to me. And then honestly, uh, and related to this specific conversation, um, it's exciting everything that's happening right now uh, at DOT all around the world. I mean, people, um, have clearly been, um, deeply challenged and professionally and personally over the last two years in particular. But the um, the the silver lining of it is that we've also seen amazing advances in the way that people have adapted how they live their lives, the the kinds of um, tools and, and technology and and, and um, the way that people use things um, has really changed quite a lot. I mean, you and I are having this interview right now over Zoom, which was kind of a thing we used occasionally, you know, before this period in time. And I'm just really excited to have a front row seat to, to everything that's going on and and want to be a resource and, and helpful to folks as they're, as they're changing the way we live our lives.
0: Great. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together. But Linda, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and share your perspective with the audience. Thank you, Tabitha. Thank you for listening to The Pavecast, hosted by Partners for Automated Vehicle Education. To learn more about this and other topics related to automated vehicles, visit our website at pavecampaign.org or follow us on your favorite social media at PaveCampaign.